0: what do you know about that man <laughs> that
1: was pretty fun <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> all
2: right let's just get the podcast started i'm chase winninger host of the podcast lee McLellan, co-host dove season opens tomorrow and beautiful weather today and deer archery season opens the next <clears> day <throat> which is why our guest joe McDermott,'s here joe you're the deer program coordinator right yes sir what all does that entail
1: uh, well, I'm responsible for uh, managing the state's whitetail deer herd. We've got a couple of biologists to work under us. We do, um, we look at it from the private and public land sides of things, you know, improving hunter opportunities, making sure that uh, populations are in balance with their habitats. I mean, there's a lot more that goes into being a deer coordinator than probably what we could cover in a in a podcast, I think. You're dealing with PR. You're dealing with other Mm -hmm. third
2: parties. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. Doing stuff
0: like this? (laughs) Doing stuff like this, yeah.
2: (laughs) What's ultimately the goal of the deer program?
1: Just uh, really you want to make sure that it's it's a healthy and uh, sustainable hunting population, Um, you know, so you have this opportunity for the future. But you want to make sure it's healthy in relation to its habitats. You know, we don't want to be like a Pennsylvania or New York where you're getting too many deer that are, Basically creating, like, uh, monocultures under the forest or, or impacting their habitat, eating themselves out of house and home, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so balancing balancing the need for, you know, healthy populations in relation to their habitat and hunting opportunities, uh, you know, so we can always enjoy that. That's at least what I look
2: at it as. It's a big balancing act. Yeah. Too many deer, not enough deer, hunter opportunity, um, protecting the resource. I mean, just all that that taken into consideration and trying to find the right spot for it right
1: yeah and it's kind of contentious at times you know uh you know whitetail deer drive this agency it's probably one of the most hunted things that's in the state Mm -hmm. um so you do have a lot of opinions Mm -hmm. you know oh yeah from from not just from you know like what we want to do but we have a lot of public input a lot of input from our staff um it's it is a giant balancing act.
2: Oh yeah, and I I can see part of that. We go out in the field with you from time to time. I'm thinking we've shot maybe three segments with you in the past. Um, yeah, at least we did a a fawn capture. Mm-hmm. We've done a um, a two fawn captures really. One of them was using a cage in
1: the winter where you guys baited it. I think you. That were, was an ad, we were adult trapping then. Yeah. Okay, but that was a yearling. this wild. Yeah, she that. yeah she was she was a smaller one that we caught that day.
2: And then also some elk calf um, <laughs> studies with the. Um, the vaginal implant transmitters and tracking those yeah. and then working up those. So,
1: copter captures, brush chaining. Yeah. <laughs> so it's-
2: if somebody's watched the show, they've probably seen you before because a lot of the stuff we do with deer and elk and that we've done in the past, you've been involved yep. with that. You just recently became the deer program coordinator earlier this year, but you've been working with the deer program for
1: years and years and years, right? Yeah. I've been doing something with deer in Kentucky since 2011 or 12, somewhere in that area. Mm-hmm. So, been around for a little while. About 12 years. Pretty good little chunk. Mm-hmm. Not as long as Lee here, but... Not as long as Lee. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> last time, last podcast, Lee uh, r- used the Civil War as a reference. So.
0: <laughs> for, when <laughs> <he started. laughs> for when he started. For when he started. when I started. <laughs> yeah, right, right after the Civil War. Yeah, just a few, uh, a few years few. few. got to see the like, entire Industrial Revolution while here working here. For me. <laughs> 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 Watch change. <Yeah. laughs> just a little bit. Landscape so, changed a little bit. The
2: kind of, kind of the way I wanted to run through today's podcast is... Um, I did put out fillers last night on social media on the Kentucky Field pages for questions, what people want to hear about, because I'd love to address what, you know, the people really, because I can guess, I can think I know, but to, to ask them what they really want to hear about is good, so I do want to get to those questions later, because some good ones came in. But first and foremost, <clears throat> I just want to talk about how excited I am about deer season. I mean, archery season is how I got introduced to hunting when I was a little kid, and I'm uh, to be 100% honest with you, the last two nights, I have not slept that well because when i lay in bed i just find myself replaying like old hunts you know mm-hmm. or maybe daydreaming it was like 59 degrees
0: this morning i know. i loved it it was 58 of them when i woke up but I I, th- I, literally i, I just, love
2: it. i lay in bed and i can't sleep because my mind is going through deer hunts you know mm-hmm. what i mean and i don't know if everybody's that obsessed where they've like literally become unhealthy this deer season starts and they can't sleep and stuff like that but i mean it's it's happened to me every late august since i was 11 or 12 is probably the worst sleep cycle i get every year is leading up to deer season and friday night is going to be horrible and you know so so i'm i'm really geeked up for it and i'm excited about this podcast but the way i want to do it is kind of to go through what you have for the people and talk about like what what kind of push information what do you think people need to know what should people think about and then jump into some of those questions on the back end does that sound good it's fine with me so if you if, I said, if you are sitting here, you got a microphone. What what kind of info do you think would be most beneficial for people to think about or know about? Uh,
1: well, I would make a request, um, you know, going back to healthy populations and, and their habitats. I would make a request for antlerless deer harvest, yeah. um, especially in these zone one counties where, you know, we actually do a lot better than many of our counterparts. Our female harvest makes up 45 rough percent of our harvest every year which is pretty good you want to have that good balance but um definitely zone one counties i'd like to push antlers harvest if you can um i know hunters there there is a limit to what people are willing to kill Mm -hmm. it's usually like 1.2 to 1.4 deer a year average um if you can't maybe take it yourself and and utilize that meat maybe consider donating to hunters for the hungry it's a great program yeah um but do that, and right now, especially especially if this weather keeps holding, is really the best time to shoot those antlers steer. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got a couple a couple things that that help with that, so if uh, you know first, if you shoot them right now, you're going to reduce the chance of shooting button bucks later in the fall if you wait. Uh You know, we normally kill six to 8,000 button bucks a year. A lot of that is people thinking they're does. Uh Uh You shoot one right now, you don't have a problem. Uh And you also get some added benefits if you do that at this time of year. Uh, If you shoot a doe and she has, say, fawns that are are males, Uh they generally don't disperse nearly as far or as frequently. So that could lead to more bucks around your property. Uh And then if you remove densities, you know, you reduce that density a little bit, you're actually making it the other animals on the property healthier by providing more resources for those, say, those bigger antler bucks that you're trying to grow. And a lot of times you're going to promote a little bit better rut hunting activity because the bucks are having to move a little bit more to find does. Mm -hmm. So really right now is the time to do it. That makes perfect sense. And I'll tell you, just on the
2: topic of antlerless deer harvest, like right now, I don't know where I'm going Saturday morning, right? I am hunting because it's tradition. I'm out there. I watch the sunrise on opening day. That's what I do. But I personally am not a big fan of buck hunting mornings this time of year because if they're in a consistent pattern, I I just think the chance of blowing one out when you can't see it in the field is too high, right? Yep, I do in the evening. So I typically buck hunt early season evenings only because I know I'm walking in when they're in bed at 4 p.m. or whatever, right? But the mornings is when I like to harvest a dough. Yep. because then I can track that dough and I can process that dough and everything in the daylight. And I'm not having to worry about doing things at night and it's just so much easier. So, you know, I like to hunt mornings. I love watching the woods wake up, but if I'm hunting mornings this time of year, it's with dough on my mind. Yep. And it's it's super convenient because like you said, this morning was, what was the temperature?
0: 58. 58? Yeah. In Frankfurt was it was at five. I mean, it, there's nothing better than sitting on the deer <clears> stand. <throat> oh, right. it felt great. Open the yeah, doors. It was morning. awesome. You know, didn't have no AC running, open some windows, let, let fresh air in this morning. It's so, great.
2: So I'm, you know, there's a good chance wherever I'm at Saturday morning, I'm going to be looking for a doe. And I really want to take uh, my fiance, Kristen, out there with me. She, she went with me last year. Those morning hunts are good for that, too, because they're comfortable. But like I said, tracking a doe in the daylight, processing her, getting everything done, and it's... Um, you know, noon or, or 2 p.m. and you are you you know, you get cleaned up and you're sitting down to watch a football game. You know, it's kind of like my ideal Saturday right oh, now. Yeah. You know, yeah. go out to the woods, pack the freezer, get it all taken care of, sit down, and watch some college football. Like that would be my dream Saturday mm-hmm. at this time of the year. So I'm going to be looking to do that exact thing. You were talking about 45% dough harvest, right? And that's good for yeah. comparatively, but it's still not good enough, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, ideally, you'd want to see it maybe a little bit more, especially, it's just going to depend on where you're at in the state, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we definitely want that to be higher in places like where we are now, Mm -hmm. in these Zone 1 counties where you're having 60-plus deer square mile, you know?
2: Tell me about how the hunter breakdown is on that because you have people like, like just to use myself as an example, I shoot probably six or seven deer a year, right? But And it takes a lot of people to do that to get that doe harvest number up to 45%. Mm-hmm. Right, because the vast majority of people just shoot one buck, and that's it, right? Yep. I said the average hunter shoots about 1.2 to 1.4 deer. And it's probably a buck. And then you've got these these hunters yep. that uh, you probably categorize them differently, the people who go out and harvest multiple does. I heard. do you know who took the most deer in the state last year?
1: No, I didn't know we kept record of that stat.
2: I was told that there was a, a gentleman who telechecked 27 deer last year.
1: I'd like to shake his hand. Yeah, that's what I
2: said. <laughs> I, know, I, I think that we ought to send that man at a When award. Jerry Bynack was <laughs> No,
0: I don't know who it would be. But he I, was like, all assistant director of fisheries. He had like, yeah, I think he took eight or nine a year. Yeah, alarms.
2: it's good. Well, I've got you know farmers getting on us for some to take care of these deer because they want you know they have crops and they're. I mean, we're in zone one. We're overpopulated, so that's what we should be doing. But I, I heard twenty seven was the most anybody telecheck last year. It is impressive. Um, so, but it, it takes to, have a big family. I reckon so. Or he just loves Hunters for the Hungry. Yeah. You know, really likes those guys. And those guys have capacity. You know, you talked about Mm -hmm. that briefly. Hunters for the Hungry is a great program. If you have the opportunity to take deer, be better for your property to take deer, you don't have a place to put the deer, think about doing that. (laughs) Because I'll tell you, over the past two years alone, you know, Hunters for the Hungry is always donating meals to people in need. Mm -hmm. But the past two years, we had the tornadoes in Western Kentucky and we had the flooding in Eastern Kentucky and they were there, for both of those. They took trailers down. They provided meals. They were handing out. You know, so they do good things in those type of events, too. And they don't
1: get really the publicity that they should. We really don't. Um, we don't do a very good job, I think, personally, of, of promoting it as much well as we should. Yeah, we're going to promote that this year on the
2: show. We try to, every now and then, take a deer for Hunters for the Hungry, highlight it on the show, do, mm-hmm. do something with Hunters for the Hungry, but, but it's an underutilized program. Yeah. A, a lot, lot
1: of people don't know about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess if we're going to be on this topic, if you go to their webpage um, right there, that's the easiest way to find a, a processor near you that will accept those deer. Because mm-hmm. not every guy that's out there cutting up deer will will take them. Um, so you can go to their website and 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 find exactly where to go mm-hmm. and who will accept them of somebody like C&J yeah. in
2: Spencer County is one that we've gone to for the show before. I know that's one here in the local area that, I think, uh,
0: that takes them, but there's well, a whole list. We're going to have Roger LaPointe on at some point, won't we, you
2: think? Yeah, oh, well, I'm going to have Roger on the TV. He's the, the director or president, whichever way you want to phrase I I don't know the official title. One of those two for Hunters for the Hungry, and we will have him on at some point to talk about the program because it's a great program, mm-hmm. and it really allows, like what Joe just said, more dough harvest would be great, right? Yes. Limiting factor there is how much meat can people store in their freezers. And so, you know, therefore, Hunters for the Hungry takes care of that one issue. So, it's huge. Like, it reduces the, the barrier that's keeping people from And, you from know, the it engine. helps
0: people who need it.
2: Yeah. You know what I mean? <clears throat> All around good program. Yeah. Um, as far as, say, somebody is buck hunting right now, what what kind of things should they be thinking about? Um food sources travel patterns things are getting ready to change in my opinion when the velvet starts coming off and the testosterone starts boosting up yeah uh, you know things change so right now we might be looking at a week of consistency ahead of
1: us yeah usually that first uh first week of september month basically by the 10th you're going to have most all your velvets going to be gone mm-hmm. um so right now if you do choose to go buck hunting um uh, it's a it's a great time to do it they're very patternable Mm-hmm. uh They stay in pretty pretty consistent movements um I kind of look at them like you know those with antlers right now because mm-hmm. they 're all they 're doing is packing on food. Mm-hmm. you know, I would hunt food sources the same way I would be looking for for does and the thing
2: is that <clears throat> you correct me if i 'm wrong you 're the expert, but right now bucks are probably maybe in bachelor groups, not all yeah, bucks, but some- group, some bucks when that velvet starts to come off test zipper, yeah, so you might have deer patterned well right now. But there's a good chance that here in a few weeks that that pattern is going to change. Maybe some of the bucks disappear, get ran out of the area. That's what happens to me traditionally, is they all have a really good pattern, and then all of a sudden everything changes, and the bucks are gone, and they're, they're solo bucks, and <clears throat> some are pushing out of the area. But that last part of September, <clears throat> is that traditionally our lowest buck harvest?
1: I think it's October. Uh, well, yeah, the last, the last weekend in September – and uh, the first little bit of October is our lowest buck harvest.
2: And that to me is a prime time to get out and take those as well. Yeah, <laughs> because those bucks are just nocturnal at that point, right?
1: Yeah, they're nocturnal. They don't not really. You know, you're kind of in the in between stage, right? They're not. They're not in the velvet. They're not rutting. They're just kind of just kind of hanging out, hmm. resting up, getting ready.
2: That makes sense. Um, let's see. I wanted to run
0: through dates too because we didn't mention those. One thing I was been noticing, I'm seeing a lot of mast. Just anecdotally, oh, yeah. mm-hmm.
1: um, the department I, it, puts out a mass report every year, but I have I not seen the think numbers crunch yet. Cody's it finished right. it; yet. they're doing it right now. Yeah, yeah. we are going to have
2: them. Cody on to talk about. It. We went out with them last week and filmed a segment <laughs> um, on a public land. They were doing the mass count, and um, you know, Cody and them talk. Cody and Zach Danks is who we went out with, and they were talking about the importance of mass crops to, uh, to wildlife populations. And one thing that they said that was interesting. And it directly relates to something you said, Joe, is that you don't necessarily want a a huge bumper crop mash year. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if the, if all the trees are just loaded with acorns and stuff, that means the deer don't have to move as they much. They won't move, yeah. to find
1: food. When did they tell you this tidbit? Because I told this tidbit to Zach Danks the other day. They told us uh, last uh, so it's uh, Wednesday or something. Yeah, so it's they're inversely related, mm-hmm. and you see the same with deer and elk. So your female harvest uh is generally going to be lower on years when you have bumper crops Mm -hmm. and higher when you when you have failures and you you know that's if you actually stop and think about it it's pretty intuitive right if there's a bumper crop they don't have to move they just find a tree and sit there and hang out and eat yep if you don't have it they are constantly moving between food sources or they're hitting your food plots more right Mm -hmm. and you see the same thing with female elk it's crazy
2: Mm -hmm. um they just kind of camp out in an area, don't move as much, and that lack of movement provides less opportunity for a deer yep. to walk past a hunter. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's the exact same thing you said about taking does. You know, if you're saturated with does, then chances are that buck doesn't have to go that far exactly. to find a doe. So if you thin out the does, just like a thinner mass crop, you're making those deer have to move, which increases your chance of running across one. Yep, that's what I'm saying. You get a little bit better running
1: activity. Yeah. Did
0: they see a lot of mass the other day?
2: Well, I've only seen one tree, Um, you know, like we went out and filmed with them and they gave us an example of how they do the process. And um, I think there's a lot of mass right now. The the one tree that I saw was a red oak and they gave it like a 75 or an 80 percent, which essentially they're saying 75 or 80 percent of the area on the tree that could hold acorns was holding acorns. Mm
1: But yeah, I mean that's not as uncommon either. Reds generally are more productive. Your whites are a little less frequent mm-hmm. in terms of like you know the big bumpers. But reds are like your drivers. But deer are definitely going to prefer the the whites. The whites, um, and that's because of the tannins. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Grow- They're a little more bitter.
2: If you and We've said this on the podcast before. If you want to know what tannins are, just you could probably go find a persimmon right now. Yeah, and you'll okay. find a, a crash yeah.
0: course. I yeah. got played a joke on, eat this crab apple.
1: When I was oh, little, it was pers- oh, raw yeah. persimmon. God. And you can't move your mouth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's just bitter. It was yeah. a remind me when my dog used to eat a toad. You know how they'd <laughs> secrete all like, in their mouth, they'd bap, bap, for a day. It's the way I felt. Yep. I got uh, a dog like that. It just makes your mouth go numb, really. yeah, It's, it's like you went
2: to the dentist and you got, injected with uh No, not came throughout your mouth. Yeah, but that's what tannin <laughs> is like. And so those animals don't want to eat the red oaks because the red oaks are full of them. When they hit the ground, white oaks aren't. Yep. So, so the white oaks are immediately edible. The red oaks need to sit there for
1: a few months. Yeah, but red oaks will be good late. Correct? Yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll eat them. It's just, it's not as preferred of a food yeah. source I as mean, a white.
2: Now, what about hickories? How do deer like
1: hickories? I don't think they really... I mean, I'm sure they eat some of them, but it's not really a preferred food source. Got okay. yeah, it.
0: One time, I quoted the UK website about hickory, saying, but, "You know, a source of deer." And one of your colleagues, long time ago, I think he's retired now, ripped me apart for saying hickories. You know, well they're um, big nuts. But, you know, I mean, but, yeah. but I mean they'll eat them. But you know, they will. But
1: yeah, it's not really it's a, not a super their number preferred. One deer, but food they will. Source, do it. But uh, man, they've documented deer eating fish. Snakes. I mean, they've <laughs> documented them eating all <laughs> kinds of stuff. They're hungry enough, though. Yeah. Yeah, they're a, I know these yeah, they're a general species, and they're going to eat, you know, most of what's out there. Just, it's just kind of like like a human, right? The, in, in the deer world, they call it, like, ice cream food, right? Mm-hmm. There's, like, this little bush in East Kentucky that we would always uh, hunt for when we were trapping deer, like strawberry bush. Mm-hmm. And they're always about this tall because they're just getting hammered, but they call it, like, an ice cream food, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know thinking of all the food that they have available it's rated right. just like us right like i like ice cream mm-hmm. and then there's like the steak and then there's like the brussels sprouts yeah. or, or you know mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it so it's just a kind F- of variety. i like filet
0: better than cube steak but if i'm hungry i'll eat cube like,
2: <laughs> you know i mean like i might eat steak and potatoes every night and i might have ice cream once a week yeah it's kind of what you're saying it's like that food that they'll eat but it's not like the what the driver
1: No, I'm saying if it's there, you know, they'll they'll They prefer it. Oh, okay, okay. Um, Yeah, they'll they'll eat it as fast as they can find it. And, like, white oaks are like that.
2: Huh. Well, that makes perfect sense. So, right now, but basically, we've covered harvest more deer, right? Mm -hmm. Does especially. What about other things people would need to know ahead of this archery season, crossbow season that comes in on the the 16th of September? That's kind of what we're talking about right now, because we'll probably talk before modern firearm season comes in. to to somebody in the deer program if not you because that one is just a whole you you Mm. can't compare it's a different world you can't you can't look at september and october hunting and draw many correlations you can draw some to how you hunt in november right because things just go out the Mm -hmm. window so i mean we still have the cwd surveillance zone down in far west kentucky yep that affects you know i don't know i just broke my pen um five counties out of the five states counties. 120 counties so it's a small percentage of people but it it could affect people that are hunting in those counties live somewhere else driving through those counties so it, i think that's probably worth mentioning too what what's specific to that area still yeah
1: so you're not allowed to you're still not allowed to bait down there you know we don't want to uh congregate them congregate deer yes it's it's a it, that's a whole complex thing in and of itself, um, the CWD management. But basically the, the rules there, you can't bait. If you harvest a deer down there, you, it has to stay within the zone unless you debone it. So just treat it. You might as well just treat it like another state, like you went and killed a deer in Indiana or Ohio. I mean, we require anybody who's bringing a deer in or a servant in. From any other state to bring it in deboned, just think about it the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, those same regulations apply. And it, state
2: lines. I mean, you brought that up. Treat it like it's deer from another state. Say we say we have a a resident hunter who's listening to the podcast, but they're going to Colorado next week to elk hunt, right? Oh, or they're they're going to go to Michigan and deer hunt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't bring that
1: the any of the bone or spinal tissue mm-hmm. or skull deboned, caped, Yep. <laughs> skull so capped. What I do. If it's something I'm gonna mount, I'll cape it myself out there and skull cap it. Yep. You just gotta make sure you clean it. I mean they're not gonna it doesn't have to be hundred percent perfect, but you wanna have most all of the material off, especially the infectious material, like the meninges inside of the brain. You can peel all that off. Yeah. Um and then you know, obviously have it deboned or get it euro mounted. I've done that on, yep. on bulls too. Yep. I'll get them euroed out there and and just debone it. The um
2: we actually you know, this was in the news. I didn't really plan on talking about this, but we actually, the department, um, filed a lawsuit against a hunter for bringing a deer across the state mm-hmm. lines back into the state. That's and probably worth mentioning.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's um, it's definitely something to be aware of. I mean, we don't just make these regs, you know, just kind of haphazardly. Like they're they will enforce them if they find find yeah. out that you're doing it. Um, and That's, it's it's important because that is one of the number one ways that CWD is transmitted is through people moving deer or, um, you know, people bringing these infectious parts back.
2: Yeah. They're not thinking, oh, well, it's, it's harmless. It's one animal. Yeah. It's that. But that individual brought a, a deer into Kentucky. I think he was, he was in another in Wisconsin. state, Wisconsin, Wisconsin. shot a deer in Wisconsin, brought it into Kentucky, and <clears throat> it was found out about that deer was taken, tested, tested positive for CWD. Mm-hmm. So then that, that individual um, you know, is facing charges for having done that because it's against the law and the, the lawsuit as well for the, yep. uh, I think, basically expenses on the testing and everything like that. So it's something that's taken very seriously. Yeah, And that's something that, you know, I don't know if people take seriously enough. So mm-hmm. that that's a, that's a big deal because if CWD pops up, like in our region of the Bluegrass State here, that's Johnny Appleseed. Yeah. You know, that's somebody bringing it in. If it, you know, some other areas of the state, near state borders, it could probably come across
1: yeah like where we're dealing with in tennessee right now yeah. it's we you know i will say we've tested thousands and thousands of deer over the past couple of years there yeah um we're very confident that it's not there or if it is it's at a prevalence less than one percent um but it was 6.8 miles from us Yeah, mm-hmm. as that disease continues to progress and spread along in tennessee it's likely that it could you know, one of those deer crosses the arbitrary state line and yeah. bam, now we've got it. A deer don't know state lines. Yeah, so deer don't see them. It's not like we got a giant wall up.
0: Same. Any CWD infected mm-hmm. deer <laughs> stay in Tennessee. <laughs> they're,
1: they're doing a lot of work down there. They're, they're trying to reduce densities. and. and the thing
0: manage. I find scariest about CWD is how long the, the prion will persist in the wild. Yeah. You know, if it gets. Spread upon the landscape, it's just—it's absolutely yeah, terrifying. It, it's yeah, I, mean, I just—I I shudder to think about it. I mean, tougher than cockroaches, they are. It's scary for—I
2: mean—the resources. I mean, like you know, because that's—that's what's imminent, you know, CW. But it's just the way that that disease works is kind of terrifying. That something can work like that, yeah. you know what I mean? Stay in the system for a year and a half, showing no signs, always fatal. Can live on the environment like almost indefinitely. Can't really kill it with anything other
1: than bleach. bleach or like yeah. You have hottest... to spray
0: bleach over acres of. Everything. It's like
1: seven hundred degrees or yeah. something like that. You have to incinerate it. at I heard that like the, the hottest wildfire on Earth
2: wouldn't have killed it or something like that. I, oh, I heard it was God. something ridiculous, but it's it's something that should be taken seriously, especially if you care about the state's yes. Once it's here, it's yeah, you know. yeah. It's it's very
1: challenging to get rid of.
2: Yeah, I kind of want to jump into some of these questions. You got anything jotted down
0: over there, Lee? While I pull this up, well, um we hit it i was wanting to talk about mast and you know just based upon what you're seeing, hey you, what what you're seeing how you think the season's going to go i think it's going to be good.
1: i think it's going to be great every you know our harvest is is generally increasing or stable to increasing every year and we've got a good trend we're killing about 140 145,000 deer a year um if this weather holds i think we'll have another phenomenal september i mean i think hunters could expect to kill eight nine thousand if it if it stays like Mm -hmm. it is right now and keeps getting cooler i think we'll we'll be good um but kind of like turkey hunting in this early season Mm -hmm. it's you know that weather's going to drive our success
2: yep and right now you know it always works out this way today is absolutely as comfortable and as beautiful as it it could be Great. and at some point tomorrow i'm pretty sure it's supposed to
0: start creeping
1: up right oh yeah because who doesn't want to get toasted on a dove field yeah. You know, that's yeah. like a mm-hmm. that's a tradition for me yeah <laughs> oh, the hottest I've ever
0: been is the middle of a duffy <laughs> yeah yeah uh, on opening day just roasted I, I think the the hottest I've been
2: it will the Clearly the hottest I've ever been is fishing the fossil beds at the falls of the Ohio on a hundred degree day without a tree within 300 yards of me and sitting out there and baking on those rocks. <clears throat> I've I actually got sick twice out there. And so I've become smarter and I've started wearing long pants and taking a long sleeve shirt with me and a hat because I'm not going to sit out there and fry. But a dove field is probably the second hottest I've ever been. Mm-hmm. Just sitting out there and the sun's beating down. No, Even,
0: cook. I've cooked out
2: there. Yeah. So I'll take some water with you if you're out tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, drink tomorrow. lots of water. And if
0: you can, get to the field early and pick you a spot. But under I think a tree. tomorrow's going to be pretty nice weather, starting yeah. to increase. But then Saturday and Sunday it, here it ramps up again.
2: Yep. National holiday tomorrow it should be or state holiday, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, man, it's one of the best social events for an outdoorsman mm-hmm. or you know as a sports person to get out there and just and have if fun. it's
0: good, you get to shoot a whole lot and it's fun. Oh
2: yeah. Know? Yeah, you can shoot a whole whole lot. <laughs> I need to take inventory of my shells, to be honest with you.
0: Well I did and uh, I'm lacking and I just you know, I, I bought a bunch a few years ago and now I'm getting thin. God, I went and looked. I mean, even at Walmart, I'm like Whoa. I remember when double A's went to four ninety seven a box and we were screaming highway robbery. <laughs> I don't think they were shooting those back in the Civil War era. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the cheapies were uh, two ninety seven, betters were around four dollars, and the cheapies went to four dollars, and the betters went to five to six, and we were like, "Oh my God, this is unsustainable!" Now it's twelve fifty a box. I want to run through
2: some of these questions real quick. Um, you good with that, Joe? Yeah. So first of all, we've already covered two of them. There was one just want to know about CWD, and I think we've hit on that fairly well. Yep. Essentially, don't bring a deer into the state from another state. You know, debone it, cape it, skull cap it, and take a pair of pliers, and if you skull cap it, tear the membrane off the inside of the skull. Yep, and that'll cover you. (laughs) And then um, the other one that we had here was how harvesting more does leads to better buck hunting. And I think you hit on that pretty well too. Mm-hmm. Essentially, you said that it's going to create a healthier deer herd because they're going to have more resources per deer, uh, not as much competition. It's also going to make the bucks have to move more to find does, which is going to increase your chances of running across one. So yep. I, th- I think you gave us a pretty good rundown of that. Um, Kason Owens wants to know what all do youth non residents need to harvest a buck in
1: Kentucky. It would depend on age. The age, yep. you know, if they're under twelve. They don't have to have permits. They need a social security
2: number to telecheck it with, and that's mm-hmm. about yeah, and a hunter ed, hunter ed card exemption. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's it. Let's let's clarify that real quick. Hunter ed card. So you need to be hunter ed certified if you were born after what was the date?ly uh, January first, seventy five. Yeah. So if you're born since that date, um, then you need to have a hunter ed card. What was that? Oh
1: a, you got a hunt guide, we'll just pull that up real yeah, quick. I'll
2: pull it up online. And then uh if you're under twelve you don't need the license permit. or or permit. You just need to telecheck that deer. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the most confusing thing people have with youth hunters is how to yeah, telecheck a deer. The
1: youth is just it gets a little weird with the it's that Because technically if they're under sixteen they're a youth, right? But then you got a real youth that's under yeah. twelve that's yeah. a little bit different. Um I'm pulling up the hunting
2: guide here just so we can clarify. You know, the hunting guide, this is something, like, when we do our live Q&A shows, which we're having one on September the 18th, like, I encourage our guests to bring the hunting guide, because there is absolutely no shame in referencing the hunting guide. That's where it's there for Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'd hate to Maybe. tell somebody something incorrect. And every, uh, everything is in the guide. Yes. Lee here knows, because he has a
0: hand yeah, in... in I do, well, I do the dove hunting guide, the waterfowl guide, and the fishing guide. And... Um, it's funny people ask me stuff and there's been so many changes through the years <laughs> it's like hand me the new guide let me, yeah. let, me tell you. At it. <laughs> so let me tell you let me tell you Reg, that's 10 years old
2: in relation to deer is what we're talking about because it's different for elk but in relation to deer the hunting guide right here says children younger than 12 resident or non-resident are not required to purchase license and permits i oh, yeah, got it right so they need to have hunter ed and you need to telecheck that deer under that individual, the youth hunters, yep. social security number. And that's pretty much it. And is and there the
1: parent or guardian or someone over eighteen will has to be there to take immediate control, the control f- the of fire the firearm, firearm if, if they fire need firearm. to. Or or I think it's Well, yeah, of the
2: firearm. Yeah. So that's what somebody non resident would need to hunt deer in Kentucky. Um, this person, uh, suggests moving archery opener to the Saturday closest to September 1st, which it seems to be it's September the 2nd so this, this year. So first Saturday in it, September. Exactly. So, I mean, you couldn't get much closer than September 2nd this mm-hmm. year, right? Yeah. Could you? Yeah. So I think we're pretty well taken care of on that one. <clears throat> what programs does the state offer to allow land owners to manage deer as in culling?
1: As in culling, uh, so so I guess be, I need a little more information on this one. Yeah, that confused. one's a little, a little vague.
2: There's two, there's two ways I could see answering that question. So there's like a damage side mm. we could talk about. And there's also the, the fact that if you're in a Zone 1 county, you have unlimited opportunity to harvest those. Yeah. So you can legally, in season, manage that herd pretty much. If you're in an overpopulated area, Zone 1, you have that ability built in. Yeah. Now, you could go out during rifle season or archery season or crossbow season and take as many does as you would like to. And the does, um, this is something good to talk about. Does drive the population. The Bucks are almost irrelevant, right? Yep. Because the I can't remember who it was that gave me this analogy, but I thought it was really good. And it was one of your staff. I can't remember. It might have been Tommy. Um, but they said if you take 10 bulls and a heifer – and you put them in a pen, how many are you going to end up with next year? One extra. One extra. You're going to get 12. If you take 10 heifers and one bull, how many are you going to end up with next year? Yep. 22, right? Or, or more. Yeah, that's how it goes. So, I mean, if you have one buck on the landscape, he could potentially service every doe in the area.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't. I don't know the exact uh, percentage that that that, that is for, for deer. Like for elk, it's 10%, right? As long as you've got 10% of the population as bulls because it's – well, like they say one bull can handle 10 cows uh-huh. i don't really know what that exact number is for deer yeah but it's, uh, it's but it's it's got to be high like that it's right? relevant
2: yeah so if you want to take if you're trying to manage your property for, for deer populations taking bucks isn't doing much for you no. i mean you're taking one deer off the landscape yeah that's all you're taking but if you take does you're it's
1: exponential yeah and you get i mean it's it's different too people you know people always want to talk about coal bucks You know, I only want to shoot the bucks, but they forget that 50% of that genetic material is still with those does. So if there's something that you're not liking on that landscape, it still helps to remove, you know, some of those females as well, because they carry just as much genetic material as the males do.
2: No, that brings up, I'm going to get back to these questions, but that just brings up a question I have in my mind, right? You said 50% of that genetic material comes from the doe, right? Yep and i see a trend in bucks where i hunt where i see the same characteristics in the in the racks right Mm -hmm. like right now there's a buck i call crab jr because he looks just like the buck i called crab four years ago (laughs) there's 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 no uh, there's no like definite way to say that crab bred crab jr it could have been crab's sister or another a doe, you know yeah. what I mean? A doe that that was related, that could be just the, you know, the, the doe that had Crab Jr. So, and I look at these does on my trail camera and there's this one doe, big old long nosed nanny, right? You can just tell she's a little different than all the other does. She's a little bit bigger. She's a little bit more alert. I'm assuming she's just older. She's raised more fawns, but is there any kind of correlation or is there any benefit to harvesting younger versus older does? As far as I go, it's kind of a crapshoot, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, really. Uh, so um, they can, you know, they talk about prime age deer, but honestly, they can they can reproduce until they die. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give you a great example of it in my fawn study. When I was getting my master's, I caught a sixteen and a half year old doe. Wow, she, she was pregnant. Where and at? She in Clay County, she was pregnant, and we caught a bunch of does that were over eight, ten years old that were still pregnant. So cougar doe. <laughs> <laughs> <her pet. laughs> So, you know, you're definitely going to be a little more consistent early on, but a doe is a doe, man. Yeah. That's why I, I didn't know if there was like,
2: you know, I always think that a buck gets big, right? Because, I mean, they have to have the genetic ability to get big. They have to live long enough yeah, to get big. Yeah, they just need time. And I think, well, why, does, why do some bucks live longer than others? And I think they have different mannerisms, you know? Like, a buck might live longer because he just naturally likes moving at night more you know what i mean
1: yeah i mean they all have i mean I, I guess you can call them personalities right they all do stuff a little bit different yeah plus a lot of it comes with age right mm-hmm. you know you think of a two-year-old buck like a like one of us as teenagers mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know we do a lot of stupid stuff i was going right? to say i made unwise decisions <laughs> yeah. often yeah uh and, as <clears> and get a little bit genius. older and wiser <laughs> then you know it's, it's the same with us right you 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 learn from that experience of being on the landscape and and uh you know being out there um I just didn't know if, like, the if
2: I looked at a doe and she was a, a obviously older doe, if that would indicate in any way that she had better genetics or better tendencies that would lead to bigger bucks. So, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I understand what you're saying. But, uh, so it's really hard to tell age on does. Like, we've actually, you know, they talk about the roaming nose, like those big old nose nannies. We actually, um, we're trying to use that as a, as a metric for, for our population models for getting age distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were measuring like out of no, no links. And, uh, we, we did that on hundreds and hundreds of deer and it was a wash. We couldn't determine a doe's mm-hmm. age by her nose. So I think you just got, I think that's just individual variation in the animals mm-hmm. that you're seeing out there. You know that, uh,
2: cause you see some people who have big noses like me mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. and I've had a big nose my whole life. You know what I mean, so it's kind of yeah. just a genetic like just a, some individual variation, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I don't like how neither of you disagreed <laughs> about my big nose so I'm gonna say
0: Roman <laughs>
2: Oh, come on that's worse that's even worse, no, no. Even worse. Oh, man. well, I'm going to forget that
1: happened. I'm going to move on to the next question here., oh, we got that one in my family too i I'm, I'm I don't have it so much but I got an uncle we call Uncle Schnoz. <laughs>
0: well, you guys are
2: just hammering on me now.
1: <laughs> I didn't call you
0: Uncle <laughs> No, we're not saying you, brother. I'm i is that big. Well,
2: I, I feel attacked. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty, you know, okay with myself. I'm not too worried about it. When I was a kid, though, people would tease me, you know. No, I no, hate, no, I'm no. not getting into this, but people would knock on my, I guess I have, Large ears, especially when I was a kid, because my, my head has grown. Well, we all did. But my, yeah, my head has grown into my ears a little bit. Actually, I have people now, like, I'll run into, there's this this girl I ran into who I probably hadn't seen in 10 years, and she was like, wow, you grew into your ears. <laughs> <laughs> I was like,
0: thanks. Is that a compliment? Yes. I'll, I'll take it. Um, it's like saying, "Well, you're not as stupid as I thought you were."
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not feeling any better. Right now. So this person asked a question. I, um you'll have to clarify this one for me. Um, why did October youth and muzzleloader seasons each get pushed back a week? I think they might be confused.
1: They're 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 not pushed back. So what we do? It's uh, so when we set seasons, uh, similar to what we were talking about about the archer season. It'll be the first Saturday of the month for archery and for youth it's like the second 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 Saturday of October. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on how the calendar falls. Yeah, you know, like a modern gun it. is second Saturday in November, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just it's just how the calendar shifts. This yeah. is how those happen. Yeah,
2: so that's confusion. People might not realize that it's the second Saturday in October every year. Yeah. So last year it might have fallen on the eighth. Yeah, you know?
1: Some states they you know, they set their season dates annually and yeah. you know, to put it on a certain day just for ease what we do in kentucky and it's not just for deers for everything that i can think except of for except for dove except uh it's for everything else it's it's going to be x saturday or x wednesday of this month you know that's mm-hmm. so it's all calendar shift is how it falls and the reason for that
2: is actually due to hunter feedback that if i remember just, if i remember correctly we it didn't always used to be like that but at some point in time i'm pretty sure we surveyed people and that was the response we got that would be preferred by the majority of people that's what i was told like before us probably during lee's early years Mm -hmm. um is when that would have been
0: when uh, ulysses s grant was president Yeah, Dan, He was but, the first <laughs> employee of the fishing game. Dan, <laughs> well, you know, the calendar shifts cause consternation for the opening of Turkey for a long time because it yeah. can vary and it just gets people tore up, you know, because, yeah. you know, it could be significantly different year to year.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it you know, if you're, you know, I, I especially think about it when I'm talking early archery season for deer, right, because we're talking about the velvet shed. Mm-hmm. When you have a year that season comes in on the 7th, A lot of those deer are going to have no velvet Mm -hmm. and you know this year we should be good for a couple days i love it shoot Mm -hmm. some nice velvet bucks
2: and it's you know luck at the draw how's the calendar fall but that's how it is i personally enjoy years where it it, you know the earlier in september it opens whenever that saturday falls the happier i am because of that velvet opportunity and because what i've got on my trail cameras right now that the patterns i'm seeing are going to be true for more days of the hunting season exactly and you know whereas i might have gotten two days of consistency three days of consistency if you're lucky yeah now i might be getting four or five days which yeah. is double you know
1: I mean, doesn't sound like i a lot tried of uh i tried three or four years ago when we had when i started on the sixth or seventh to shoot a velvet buck for my first time mm-hmm. and this deer was pounding the same spot every night for like five days in a row he was here at this time the day before opener he sheds his velvet never saw him again yep that's how it goes it's like how it come on man he was a nice one yeah it's a nice
2: one that deer i called crab earlier he was the the buck i was i was hunting that year and i had him right and it was a year that archery season came in pretty early and i've probably told this story before but i i knew exa- and it was a morning hunt i had him in the mornings and i had him in a consistent a consistent way where i could get in there and i felt good about it and i needed an east wind and i got an east wind so that opening morning i went for the you know swung for the fences and about 10 minutes before i had shooting light i heard a twig break and in my mind i was like i just knew i was like that is him and he's coming this way and i could eventually i could make out his rack as it started getting lighter and i had him at 20 yards off to my left side (laughs) and uh I couldn't, he was on the other side of brush, I didn't have shooting light, and then he stepped out into my lane and he was 12 yards away from me. And I I felt confident in my shot. And I pulled back and I and I shot and I hit shoulder, high shoulder. Mm. And uh, I mean, I, I didn't know where I'd hit. and we tracked that buck and uh, tracked that buck and he was back on camera a week later and he got shot the following year, um, mm. a couple farms over. But that brings me to a point I wanna make later about shot selection and where you aim but it was legal shooting light i had that deer on my trail camera he was standing in front of it when i shot and mm-hmm. he was he was looking up at my stand in the trail camera in timestamp, stamp i was just legal. about to bust i was i was i <clears mean <clears <throat> but that was the only chance i've ever had at a good velvet buck and i still kick myself for the for 12 yards from a tree angling down it wasn't the light that got me it was the angle of the shot
1: oh yeah it's hard
2: yeah and uh and that's why it's really important to practice from an elevated platform and stuff like that. You know, it's unfortunate that happened that year. I'm glad that deer survived, um, and it, you know, it's still I'm still a little torn up about it. Oh yeah, but well, hey, now we
1: got the uh, archery range. We can, yeah, we can practice after work now. Mm-hmm. You
2: know, for people who didn't know, we literally just completed construction of an archery range here at Fish and Wildlife Headquarters that includes an elevated platform. the The base height of the elevated platform is 12 feet above the ground. So you're looking at shooting, depending on how tall you are, probably a height, uh, and it's angled down too. The mm-hmm. the targets are downhill, so you're probably shooting from tree stand height, about twenty feet, when you're when you're up on that elevated platform, and there are these poles coming out of the elevated platform that are intended to be able to put like the base of a stand on. And I'm not sure what the plan is for that if we're gonna install stands or if people are gonna be able to bring their own. I think that's up in the air still. But you're gonna be able to shoot from a a tree stand platform in a safe way. I see, I didn't know that part of it. That's what those poles are going up through the middle for, so that you can practice shooting from from an actual platform. So there is an archery range up here at Fish and Wildlife headquarters. I've heard that the official opening date is sometime next week. So I'm sure that will be announced whenever. But just know that's an opportunity. Joe, I got so sidetracked with that story about that velvet buck, I don't know where I was at there. But, you know,
1: we were going through questions. I think we'd uh, just finished the culling one and the, yeah. uh, the one right at no season dates is what we did. Yeah.
2: Anyway, I got sidetracked about that story. That was a heartbreaker, man. I really dude. Wish. I've got
1: one of those too. So I mean, we all do. Well, <laughs>
2: where I was wanting to go with that is shot placement, man. That shoulder is an area that I avoid. I've that has cost me two deer. One deer I ended up eventually getting, but um, you know, people always put these diagrams up online and stuff of where would you aim and and i just err on the side of caution now and i go a few inches back you yeah. know what i, I mean, mean
1: you're gonna hit lungs that way yeah. lungs and liver diaphragm it's all right there you're yeah. gonna you nick any of that you're good
2: yeah and then also compensating for that angle you need to practice if you're shooting from a tree stand you need to shoot from a tree stand you need to shoot from an elevated platform because it's it's different you know, and you're probably, if you don't practice and you just take a shot from an elevated platform, you're probably going to hit high, which, in my opinion, is not a good thing to do at all. Um, they talk about no man's land, but, you know, I, that's debatable.
1: There's a fair amount of open space in there. Yeah. You I, know, from someone who's opened a bunch of them. You know, for like a necropsy, it's, it, there is a fair amount of open space. And people, you know, debate whether or not um, no man's land exists.
2: Well, I mean, it could just be as lucky or unlucky as did that deer inhale or exhale mm-hmm. right before that arrow hit? Are the lungs inflated or deflated? You know, because that's going to contribute to how much open space there might be. But so to me, I are on the side of caution. I go back a few inches from the shoulder. You know, I'm not saying to aim for the guts, but, you know, that double lung shot's a pretty good pretty good high percentage shot yeah ain't no deer get away from that mm. and you're avoiding the shoulder which is really important because i mean i'm pulling 31 and a half inches and if i can't get an arrow through that shoulder blade consistently then you know it's probably not that likely that everybody else can either so that's just my kind of take on it <clears throat> and I, like i said it's heartbreak it's live and learn okay. um the next one <clears throat> this is completely unrelated but daniel thornsberry says he caught a tiger trout on harrods creek um, so if he did that, then congratulations. I don't know. I've never fished Harrods Creek, but tiger trout's pretty cool. We have we caught them on the Cumberland River um, down there drift fishing. That episode actually hadn't aired yet. Andy wants to know, is EHD
1: rearing its ugly head? And if so, where is it most prevalent? Thank you. We <clears> have <throat> actually not had many uh, many reports come in. Right now I can think of three, maybe four. Uh, they 're all coming in around that green river region area, right. like Adair county mm-hmm. um and the surrounding areas but i 've only i 've only got three or four, but hopefully you know we it is a cyclical disease, meaning it 'll happen it generally will happen in like every five or six years um well, it happens every year, but it happens big every couple it, of years yeah, it happens every year uh kind of sporadically, but in certain areas it 'll hit more. More prevalent, I guess, a little harder, and it just kind of depends. I mean, there's other factors that come in, right? Like sometimes you get those weird storms that get the other the other midges that come in with a different yep. strain, oh, or I um, about that. The uh, drought conditions. Drought, drought conditions get it, but so when you get an EHD outbreak, you know you're going to have some deer die, but who the deer that don't die have uh, immunity, immunity yeah. yeah, right? And that's going to persist in the population <clears> for a couple years, and then as bad. those deer die out. That immunity is gone, so that's what sets you back for you know being prime for another one. So that's why I'm saying it's like cyclical. So it's every so often. So we're kind of due for another good one, but as of now, the reports have been very, very sporadic, very few. Um, we've been it's having been a lot a of precipitation. A wet summer. Yeah, know. had a lot of precipitation out there. So I think. Uh, we're sitting pretty good unless we start getting into some nasty droughts or some weird storms or something like that.
0: But th- those um,
1: those segmented parts of streams where they dry almost all the way up,
0: and that really produces the conditions that make it worse. Correct?
1: Yeah, it's those mud- muddy flats. Muddy
0: flats,
2: yeah. I personally think we've had an excellent summer in mm. regards to the weather. Oh, we have. I mean, there's been a couple of stretches where it got hot, but we had rain. You know yeah. what I mean? There were those nice little pop-up heat storms. And we had a
0: weird drought like in June, which yeah. is weird. Well, there was know?
2: a there was a, a two- or three-week-long drought in June. Then and then I, boom. I talked to a, a a buddy of mine who was a very well-versed farmer, right? And I asked him how that drought was affecting his stuff. And he said it was actually kind of a, a good thing because it hit it they, right after they planted everything, and it drove those tap roots down. Um, it made the plants create a longer taproot. And then after they developed that longer taproot, they were, you produce know, we, more. we got the rain and they were able to produce more. So it's actually kind of worked out lucky. You don't want drought, but I think that that drought hit at a good time, you know. But
0: we had excellent spawning in streams too, especially yeah. for small mouths.
1: But yeah, the, uh, the drought helps. EHD, it's, it's not been bad so far, uh, the, but this is the time of year that it starts to rear its ugly head, as he says. Um, but I think we're looking pretty good right now. It's definitely nothing major as of yet.
2: That's uh that's good to hear. I remember a
1: couple years ago when it was when it was
2: when it was bad. I remember like it was probably mid twenty ten. Twenty seventeen. Mm-hmm. Twenty seventeen. Yeah. I I when remember it smoked East Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was uh Woo. that's when the, the the bag limits got changed in eastern Kentucky. Yeah, uh-huh. or the uh, there'd been limits, a lot
1: of zone three counties over there had it not been for that, that it kinda hit perfect as we were right in the middle of a big reg cycle and we were switching stuff up. Um actually some of the deer from my study we, we calculated Because some of those deer that I had collared died from EHD, obviously, it's about a thirty percent mortality rate in some areas. Wow,
0: wow, that's terrible.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a dinger.
2: The uh, next question here is kind of a very broad question, Uh, Jimmy Flynn, how to process a deer. I'll tell you what, that's extremely hard to tell. You all have a very good video. I was going to say it was a good video online. We, we do. We have a couple of really good video resources. First, you know, I do want to answer this question it's really hard to answer how to process a deer through an audio medium because I really think you need to see it. Yeah. Um, But essentially, I look at processing a deer as being the process of taking a deer in the field, point A, right? You got a deer down, to getting it to packaging, like ready to store or ready to cook. So what happens in between deer on the ground and deer going in the freezer or in the skillet? That's going to determine your taste. And And that can be done a million different ways. Like there's no one right way. Like I personally process deer three different ways probably depending on where the deer is, how much time I have, the weather conditions outside, you know, because some deer, uh, most of the deer I harvest, I, I debone in the field and put it into a game bag and carry out over my shoulder and do it that way. And then a lot of that's early season hunt. But if it's gun season and it's just gonna happen to be 35 degrees for a day or so, I've kind of been more um, motivated to get that whole deer out and and let it hang and try to do things with the meat that I can do because of the weather conditions. I don't have a walk-in cooler. But essentially, there are really good video resources on the Kentucky Field YouTube. Uh, There's a really good one that Becky Bloomfield did with how to field dress a deer. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's one that Chad did on how to debone or field Mm -hmm. process a deer. And the version that Chad gives you can be done gutless or with a field dressed deer. So you don't even need to gut the deer to do that, the method that Chad showed you. You essentially just make an incision along the spine, the length of the deer, make an incision along the back leg and the front leg, and then peel that hide back so that you open up and you can see the meat on that side of the deer that's face up. And then i take out the back straps i take out the meat on the back end by muscle group i take the front shoulder off it's not attached by any bone you can just very easily you could take it off with a butter knife i mean it's just a mm-hmm. couple of thin layers of muscle that and then take the muscle off the front shoulder and muscle group and then you can take the the neck meat off it comes off in a big sheet and it's super easy you can put it in a game bag flip the deer over do the same thing on the other side um the only thing that's a little bit tricky is getting the inner loins out and to do that, you just make an incision below the spine between the pelvis and the rib cage, and you can reach in there and feel them. And the you can
1: about ri- grab them and just pull them out. Yeah,
2: they're really so you don't need to waste any meat. I mean, unless you're talking about rib meat on a deer, which you know, not a whole lot of people are utilizing anyway because it's little bitty thin strips yeah. of, you know, some people might 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 want that rib meat, but the vast majority of hunters are are taking it everything else and that rib meat's so thin and so kind of stringy that you know that would that would be a great way to do it so i'd suggest somebody go to youtube and type in kentucky field deer processing because there's really good i think chad's video is 16 minutes long he shows you everything you need to know and gives you a really good example so like i could full demonstration and the field dressing video i think is just like five or six minutes long and becky bloomfield shows you exactly how to field dress it here yep and it's done really really well i was i was <clears throat> really happy with how both those turned out, and both Chad and Becky did a great job. I think they're some of the best video resources that exist for field dressing and field processing a deer, like in the country. Um, and then this this is the last question. This is something that <clears throat> I'm not sure who who asked this question, but it's in relation to the Department Golf Scramble. Okay, and he said, "Are the Bambi Bashers going to win the Department Golf Scramble?" Okay, I guess that's a team name. The, That is my team name, baby. That's your team? Mm -hmm. The Bambi Mm -hmm. Bashers? And you know, so somebody just gave away your team name there. The Bambi Bashers. That could be looked at two different ways to me, right? Like, you could look at that as like, wow, that's awful. (laughs) Or you could look at it as in the movie, Bambi, Mm -hmm. right? Which is something that I'm not a fan of.
1: We'll leave it up to interpretation. Yeah. Individual interpretation.
2: But essentially, I mean, I would almost like to talk about that movie for a second. Mm-hmm. And w- yeah. what it's done mm-hmm. to uh people's like attitude towards deer hunting? Mm-hmm. Do you have any any thoughts on that, or care to share them?
1: I mean, they're kind of anthropomorphizing wildlife, right? And mm-hmm. that's uh that's kind of an issue with a lot of those types of movies. They're um, humanizing, mm-hmm. yeah, and not just that, but there's inaccuracies.
2: Like, for instance. There's a reason that deer season is when it is, you know, gun season. Yeah, we're
1: not orphaning fawns. Yeah, they,
2: they're fully self sustained So there's, some, you know, some some non-truths or some some lies, if you want to say them, built into that movie. And it's kind of the human—it's almost like a—I don't want to call it anti-hunting propaganda, but that's almost what it resulted in being. Yeah. Whether it was intended to be or not, that's almost—because as kids watch this movie and they're getting— a completely inaccurate picture of what hunting is like it kind of creates a a bad a bad image through non-truth you know what i mean yeah it's so it's a whole can of worms yeah <laughs> no, no doubt yeah well that's just my i personally <laughs> i will personally say that i'm not a fan i tell you
1: uh, renella does a good breakdown on bambi uh that's it's worth listening to if you're interested in yeah renella's is better at that than i am yeah it's know? it's it's just a whole can of worms. But, but yes, the, the Bambi Bashers will be winning. Uh, we're going to win with a uh, – Who's on Bambi Bashers? I'm going to call it 17-under.
0: 17 17-under. 17 <laughs> hey, he's be. been on my scramble team before. Yeah. And he, <laughs> and that's
1: why Lee, Lee won't let me come back because I'm <laughs> no, not very good. Well,
0: I got recruited this year. We did, I didn't have a team. So You play best ball.
1: Yeah, yeah it's yeah, scramble. It's a yeah. Okay. Are you going to play?
0: No, I'm not a golfer, Lee. I enjoy it golf. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I enjoy golfers really to does. go
1: to Dom, eat Don food. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, to get homemade bratwurst that Don yeah. makes, and they, they are, are out the of ball. this world. I always have to have a bratwurst. Now, I'm an eater, but I'm not a
1: golfer. Well, no, it's me, uh, Tommy Apostolopoulos, okay. my deer biologist, John Hass, who's the deer co- or the yeah. elk and bear coordinator, and then we got a ringer from uh, East Kentucky. His name is Hunter Vickers. So That's who asks the question. That's who asked the question. Collegiate golfer. That's who it was. that ask if you guys were going to win. Awesome dude. So yes, we're going to win.
2: Well, what if somebody else brings Justin Thomas in there? You know. It's uh, for
1: friends and family of yeah. employees. Okay. Yeah. okay not, not friends, not friends. It's family and employees. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. So It is. JT's from Oldham County. He could be a mean well, he ain't nobody's can. Third cousin. I wouldn't put that past Ben Robinson though. He'll he'll he always cheats. Mm. <laughs> ben Robinson does as he always went. No, he just cheats. He tries well, he to win. He was right. on the winning team last year. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. He no, was it was Jeff before. Robson. Him, that's right. Yeah, Dane Ballsman, I think, played college golf, too. He's...
0: Yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah. Well, guys, I've see, never... why
1: are we letting the fisheries guys come in here and play golf with the wildlife people? I haven't
2: uh, had a set of golf clubs that fit me since I was 12. So uh, it'd be hard to get one for you. You need about an extra eight inches on top of yeah. the standard shaft, probably. It's, it's tough. But I, uh, you know, if I play golf, I enjoy it for the first three holes. And then after that, um, I don't enjoy it. And then after that, I hate it. So that's kind of the way it goes. I just get I'm I'm not good enough at it to enjoy
1: it. I would really need some practice, you know. Oh, you just just got I'm I'm a terrible, but I enjoy it. You just can't go out there and beat yourself up too but bad. But if Joe gets a hold of
0: one and it stays in yeah. with his hook, that thing runs from here to Louisville.
1: <laughs> I've gotten a lot better. I've gotten a lot better at that, though. I'm a, I'm much improved from what you saw, but I'm still not a very good golfer. <laughs> to me, I'm like, uh, you know, you see a little
2: kid with a full-size basketball and a 10-foot goal, and he can't quite get the ball there. Mm. That's how I feel playing golf. It's just like almost impossible, <laughs> you know? But that's that's not my sport. I can, If we were golfing with these things, they ought to set up some type of a, that would be a great sport, some type of archery golf mm. where you're, I don't know. Uh, like Frisbee th- th- golf guy? Yeah, because if there was a bow involved in golf, I would enjoy it. Oh, yeah. There has to be a way to do it. I'm sure we could think something think Mo- some money money making opportunity there. You guys got anything else you want to run through? I think we hammered. Most I think of we've I got did. it. Yep. What all do we hit? Harvest more does for yep. your for mass y- crop. Harvest more does for the good of the the landscape, for the good of the deer herd, and for the good of your hunting. CWDEHD. We covered that. Yeah, if you don't have a place uh, to store more does and you want to harvest more, look at Hunters for the Hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, this first couple of days of archery season is probably your best bet on getting on a buck you've patterned. Um, after that, it's going to be a little bit tough until pre-rut starts kicking in in October. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't bring deer across state lines. Mm -hmm. Don't leave the CWD surveillance zone with the deer um, unless it's deboned and and caped and all that good stuff. Check out the fall hunting guide Mm -hmm. for rules and regulations. Um, They're free. If you have any questions, I was at Cabela's uh, two days ago and I saw a beautifully stocked wall of fall hunting guides behind the counter there. Um, I'd say most of your outdoor stores, Walmart's, um mm-hmm. anywhere that sells hunting or fishing tackle
0: should You can get
1: a, uh, you can get it online too for free. Yep, keep it on your phone so you always got it. I would uh, one last thing I would encourage folks to do. We do have um almost a million and a half acres of public property in Kentucky. Oh, so yeah. if you don't have a place to go, there's a great function on our website on fw.ky.gov, the uh, find my or find a place to hunt search function yeah. Enter your county. It'll give you a nice place to go. And there's some really, really good properties out there. And a lot of them are underutilized, yeah, uh, particularly in the, east. in the east. You've yeah. got about a million acres in southeast Kentucky that is wide open, wild country that is worth going to see if you've and, not done and it. And if
0: you're willing to do a little extra work, yeah. you know, you can have it, especially in east Kentucky. You know, don't hunt near the road. Don't hunt near the parking areas. You know, if you're willing to do a yeah. little extra, I'm telling you. you can get into some excellent. I Excellent. think there's
2: underutilized hunting opportunities like everywhere. Oh yeah. On I public did. land. I think that some like people have this stigma about public land. I'm telling you I've I've done a lot of squirrel hunting and rabbit hunting on public land. The deer are there. Okay. And every year I go to Eastern Kentucky and I bear hunt and I can't tell you how many shots I get a deer. Mm-hmm. Just walking the the old coal roads up there. Mm-hmm. You know, I can just be cruising down a coal road and I look up and there's two does at twenty five yards on the ground and you know, it's almost the uh, people have that stigma and they should because they should not there are big big deer taken on public land every year and there's more deer than you would think on public land and there's new public land
0: that miller buck on penny Forest, forest you remember that one about 10 years ago it was the nice amish one. guy yeah it was a monster
1: but he said he walked in a mile yeah. yeah but even here in the you know i just i point out east kentucky because there's nine hundred thousand acres of public over there mm-hmm. right so it's really a place that you can go and get get away from folks Um, But even here in the Golden Triangle, there's a lot of underutilized opportunities here.
2: If you're a bow hunter, like somebody like somebody like me, like I always have this dream of going out west and elk hunt, right? I work for the state. I don't make that much money. It's hard to do. You know what I mean? I got to work and I'm also very invested in deer hunting. And so it's hard for me to take that first week of September and just commit to it months and months in advance. And, you know, but you can have an experience in Eastern Kentucky that is similar to going on. A a big game hunt out west. You can pack up your stuff. You can go backpack in on one of these huge tracks and you can make it your goal to harvest a deer, to quarter it, to field dress it, to do whatever you do, to pack it out. And you can get yourself some experience that might help you out down the road if you ever do get to go out west. And it's just a really cool experience. Like one of the things I enjoy most every year is public land hunting out east when I'm just by myself and I don't see a person for two or three days, you know, and just being out there in the mountains and living in a hammock or a tent. You know, it's super enjoyable, and I don't know if anybody does it. But
1: not a lot of people do. That's why I'm trying to push it. You it's, could do it for deer. good stuff out
2: there. Mm-hmm. You could do it for deer and have an excellent experience, in my yeah. opinion, on a lot of public land down there. Mm-hmm.
0: And this is not deer hunting, but a lot of people think, you know, you hunt the public dove fields the opening weekend and all that. If you let it cool off, you go to the third or fourth weekend in September and at the beginning of October, you'll be surprised if you do a little scouting how good the hunting can be because mm-hmm. People, that they shoot at the first weekend, they don't hunt again at all. Mm-hmm. And if the field gets heated up a little bit, you let it chill for a while, there's still a lot of food on landscape at these public fields. Um, we know. should probably,
2: it would be irresponsible of us to do a podcast the day before Dove Opener and not just mention that there are public Dove Fields. And there are new public dove fields. Some of them mm-hmm. got added like last week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So go check. If you need a place to dove hunt, go check online, find a public dove field. And you should, the, the dove guide is online. Mm-hmm. You can check it out there. And one thing to be um, thoughtful of is still shot regulations on certain dove fields. So if you're planning on going to a public dove field, get online and check it out and see what the regs are. Most of them aren't still shot, but some of them are. And conservation officers will be checking public dove fields this year across the state. I mean, they do every year. You know, HIP survey needs to be filled out. That's something we hit with John Brunges, so I feel pretty good about that. Migratory bird permit and hunting license. Mm-hmm. And those are the things you need. Those are included in a sportsman's. But even if you got a sportsman's, you still have to do the HIP. Do mm-hmm. the HIP. And we we hit HIP really well with John Brunges yeah, last time. John did a great job with HIP. So uh, I think we're good on that, but I did. I mean, literally, what time is it right now? It, well, it was 15. Yeah. So we're less than 24 hours away from... <laughs>
0: you know mm-hmm. going on all over the bluegrass so that'd be great and again if it's crowded opening day give it a couple of weeks come back and scout it, give it might, a couple d- there might be birds everywhere you know yep. and if you can on wma fields if you take a day off on like a tuesday or a wednesday or something after you know that's the time to go don't shoot saturday and sunday you can have some good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if you just go scout it on a tuesday if you could take off it you know a couple of days later go. good, good stuff all right well i'm looking forward to it you shooting doves tomorrow Lee? I'm shooting Dove Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. You working tomorrow? Yes. Oh, my gosh. You might be the only person. I know. Do- Joe. shooting. One year. Did you, remember when Hurricane Harvey came through? Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Hurricane, I ain't hunting. Y'all went there <laughs> and hammered You and ass went out there and hammered
1: an <laughs> them. Kevin
0: and I talked ourselves out. I could still kick myself.
1: I, dude, there were two people, and they were me and my buddy <laughs> in this field when a hurricane came five minutes before legal shooting time. There were 70 birds on the ground in front of me. <laughs> yeah the wind was blowing so hard these things were floating like this <laughs> there was some of the easiest and hardest shooting i've ever done but i was out i limited out in an hour i called everybody else up here at frankfurt hey boys no oh, i know we heard about it too late by the time i mean we had
0: something was, come up we couldn't a good go time we that filmed it oh uh, we filmed that
2: day yeah we filmed a dove hunt that day in richmond on a public field in miller welch <clears throat> or it might not have been it might have been a Leroy's field. Was it Leroy's? Yeah, it might have been Leroy's. But I remember, because who takes a camera
0: out to film a dove hunt in a hurricane? You know, But they had a good shoot. We got, got a second. The so.
1: best dove hunt I've ever done in my life. Yeah, that's, that's what amazing.
0: everybody said. I'm still talking about the one that got away. That's the hunt that got away. <clears throat> Mad as hell.
2: I really think that <clears throat> those odd conditions,
1: it doesn't apply to dove. I have no idea why you guys had a good dove hunt. <laughs> no idea why you had a good dove hunt because they couldn't fly they were just hanging out eating man they were just they couldn't uh they weren't migrating off there was nobody around me yeah just was, had the field to yourself it was yes i had a perfect field basically to myself
2: yeah those odd conditions always make it memorable too, don't they like you can go on a 100 a dove hunts that are just the perfect conditions but that one where it's you know something's different about it. it's the one you're gonna remember mm-hmm. i always kind of like hunting that's why i like getting out there and hunting the first snow of the year That's why I'm going to hunt opening day, even though it's hot, because it's just something that makes it more memorable, makes it more fun. Guys, I'm going to say we uh, wrap this up. Cool. About lunchtime. Thanks for coming on, Joe. Thank you, you, Lee. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you guys. All right, man. Good luck, everybody.